You a food addict? Can you even be addicted to food? <laughs> man, oh man, this is a hot, hot, hot topic in the world of nutrition. If you don't know me, my name is Kate Richardson. I am one of two registered dietitian nutritionists at our private practice nutrition awareness here in Orlando, Florida. If you have listened to the podcast before, you've probably heard an episode where Megan Pokacek, the other dietitian who works at Nutrition Awareness with me, the owner of Nutrition Awareness, where we go back and forth and have more of conversations about topics in nutrition, but she's doing important things like raising a little baby that she just gave birth to. So it's just me. And I should also mention she just published a book that is available for purchase. It's called The Optimized Life. It is a nutrition guide for entrepreneurs. They teach you how to boost your brain, body, and business. So if you are a bookworm and you're a nutrition nerd, you need to get your hands on this book. It's on Amazon. Lots of information there. So if you need a little dose of Megan in your life, that is a great way to get it until she is back on the show. But if you know us, you also know that we are all about giving you guys evidence-based nutrition information that's very, very practical and easy to digest. The world of nutrition, as you probably may have experienced, is a wild one. And the topic of food addiction, it gets real messy, okay? So I love a good scientific, non-political debate. And the literature behind food addiction does not disappoint. I mean, it makes you want to pop a bag of popcorn and sit back and just read the drama. The argument between whether or not an individual can be addicted to food, specifically in the context of really highly processed foods, where there is a fat and refined carbohydrate combination, we'll talk more about that later, is quite polarizing. In this podcast, I'm going to present to you arguments between both sides, the yes, you can be a food addict and the no, you cannot be a food addict side, some commonalities between both points of view, and the approach that I find most helpful with my own clients here at Nutrition Awareness. That way you can decide what uh, your thoughts are about food addiction based on the science and my own personal experience as a professional. And then at the end of the podcast, I give you some steps to take if you do feel like you struggle with food addiction, if you have identified as food addiction, or you feel like you have something along the lines of food addiction. We'll break that down in today's episode. Let's start off with some arguments made by the sides who believe that food is addictive, okay? So they'll say that highly processed foods, where there is a combination of a refined carbohydrate or sugar, so you can think traditional sugar, high fructose corn syrup, refined flour, white flour, something that often gets categorized as quote unquote bad, and a fat. A great example of this would be pizza. Pizza dough is a refined flour. They usually add sugar. They even add sugar in the tomato sauce, sorry to tell you. And then it's cooked in fat. That's why it's so greasy. There's lots of cheese, sometimes some fatty meat like pepperoni or sausage. That is a combination of a highly processed food in the context of which we will be speaking today. Potato chips, donuts, ice cream, those kinds of things are also going to fall into that category. Now, these people who say that food is addictive, they say that these foods these highly processed foods are more effective at engaging reward-related brain pathways, and they are more likely to be consumed in an addictive manner than minimally processed foods. 
An example of a minimally processed food would be something like a baby carrot. Because if you think about a carrot, when you pull it out of the dirt, it's not in baby form. <laughs> it's processed to be that shape and that texture to make it more appealing to consumers. So we would consider that a minimally processed food because there's nothing added to that to make it tastier per se. It just looks better and is more appealing. Uh, lots of foods are gonna range on the spectrum of highly processed to minimally processed depending on your point of view. High concentrations of rapidly absorbed carbohydrates, ones that have a lot of sugar and fat, underlie the addictive nature of highly processed foods according to the pro side. And that's further enhanced by salt or other flavor additives. So think about a potato chip. You have this potato that's been refined by added a lot of oil, they fried it and they put salt on it or cheese dust, whatever, okay? That's highly addictive according to this uh, side of the argument. Now the opposing side claims that food is not addictive, says that the evidence that specific food ingredients like sugar and salt are key determinants of addictive like behavior is lacking. They say that highly processed foods are not comparable to things that we normally would categorize as addicting. Think uh, legal or illegal drugs, which act via a specific mechanism. These mechanisms are really direct, right? You become addicted to opioids or painkillers for a certain reason, or perhaps the uh, alcohol, right? Most people consume highly processed foods on a daily basis without experiencing the same drug-related effects. The cut and clear argument would be a heroin addict is going to completely derail their life for the drug where somebody who's a food addict can still function. Now, in relation to diagnosing someone with food addiction in what we call the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM, and specifically edition five, there's a category, and that category is the substance-related and addictive disorders. So this whole part of the DSM-5 applies to substance-focused understanding. I know, I just said a lot of words, don't sweat it. All in all, the pro-addictive side says that food does fit in all of the criteria of the DSM. They see highly processed foods like peanuts, donuts as addicting. The side that is anti-food addiction says that you should look more at behavior around food rather than the actual composition of the substance. This means the act of uncontrolled eating or binge eating disorder should be more of what uh, it matters versus the actual substance of the food. So you could be maybe addicted to the act of certain eating habits, perhaps. I'm just kind of going on the fly here, uh, according to this group, maybe you're addicted to, or you feel addicted to when you come home from work, you just make a beeline to the kitchen, but it's the act of doing that that is habitual and not so much the calling of the sugary treats in your, in your fridge. Now, there are some commonalities that the both the groups agree on. They agree that there is a characterization or a phenotype that exists among someone that might be confused on whether they are a food addict or not. So a phenotype is just a genetic terminology that describes a classification of behaviors or characteristics that are similar. So these phenotypes are marked by A, a lack of control around your eating, B, strong cravings, so someone reports strong cravings. Overconsumption of a specific food, let's use Oreos as an example, despite negative consequences like 
indigestion, uh, fear of weight gain, a sugar rush, a crash, low energy. So people will eat them despite consciously knowing that it is not helpful. And D, repeated failed attempts to control intake. So somebody who tries to stop eating these highly processed food but fails. Both sides agree that this phenotype is more likely to occur in individuals who do have a BMI of over 30, which would classify as obese, but it is not synonymous with obesity, meaning somebody can be obese and not experience these tendencies around food, and someone could be considered a healthy or overweight or even underweight BMI and experience symptoms like this. They also agree, both sides, that there is something called the uh, Yale Food Addiction Scale and that it can be useful for assessing behaviors around food. You can find this with an easy Google search. Uh, This is just a survey that asks you to rank yourself of the frequency of addictive like food behaviors. It's kind of interesting. Um, A few of them would be in the past 12 months. There have been times where I've avoided professional or social situations because I was not able to consume certain foods there. And you would rank that zero, meaning never, all the way up to four, which means four or more times daily. And then it has a way to categorize whether you are uh, a food addict. So that's kind of interesting if you want to just use it as a way to gain more awareness around unwanted eating habits or thoughts. And that's where I want to share my perspective as a registered dietitian, because I have a lot of clients who, when they make their appointments online with us or when we're chatting on the phone and setting up a session, they'll tell me something like, I'm addicted to eating. I'm a sugar addict. I just, I'm I'm addicted to food. I love food so much. I can't stop eating food. And I can't help but to notice that some people just are not afraid to announce it like it's some job title. Like, hello, my name is Kate Richardson and I, uh, I'm a food addict here in Orlando, Florida. Like they almost wear it as like a badge of honor. And then I find a lot of other people use the title of a food or sugar addict to justify eating habits they feel shameful or unhelpful. So maybe they categorize having a desire to eat sugar after dinner as bad, then they use this addiction as a way to justify. Now, I can't, maybe I don't want to say play victim because that's a little extreme, but it's like, oh, I, I don't want to take responsibility for my eating behaviors. I'm an addict. I can't help it. For instance, I hear a lot of people say things like, I have tried to diet in the past, but I am addicted to food. I can't stop thinking or eating about I just can't stop. I think about food all day. I can't stop eating it. Uh, If it weren't for my addiction, I would weigh what I weighed in high school. If it weren't for my food addiction. Guys, if you talk like this, if you've been around this podcast before, you know that I subscribe to the idea that in order to successfully reshape your health, to reshape your body, you must reshape your mind. I believe that it's all synonymous. You can't do one without the other. I believe by if identifying as a food addict, then you are more likely to act in ways in which you believe a food addict behaves, which is typically negative. Let me say that again. Identifying as a food addict means you are more likely to act in ways in which you believe a food addict behaves. Whether these beliefs come from the Yale food addiction scale or from something else in the uh, little crevices of your subconscious. So what do I say by this? Let me me try to illustrate this with a very um, polar example. Let's say that you 
as a listener, identify as a hard worker. You have a subset of beliefs based on your own experiences and understanding on how a hard worker conducts his or herself. For instance, hard workers are motivated. Uh, They have stamina, they're determined, they're focused, they're self-reliant and disciplined. Therefore, because you are a hard worker, you are motivated, you have stamina, you are determined, focused and disciplined. Therefore, your actions follow these beliefs. You wake up and work whether you feel like it or not because you are determined. You don't stop until the project is done because you have stamina. You get up early, you stay up late because you're motivated. You put in the work because you are a hard worker. Now imagine if you flip-flop that identity and you identified as lazy. You believe someone who is lazy cuts corners. You believe they avoid challenges, that they are unreliable, they can't finish problems or tasks. So therefore, you as a lazy person follow suit with these beliefs. You don't get up early and stay up late to finish problems. You do not worry if the project is done. You stop when you feel like it or when you're tired. You don't put in the extra work because you're lazy. See what I'm saying here? If you identify as a food addict, you are going to act erratically around food just as an addict does trying to resist food or specific foods like sugar and chips and carbs, but overdosing on these foods later, consuming large portions, or trying to avoid situations with food to avoid temptation. But guys, here's the problem. I think you probably know what I'm gonna say. Unlike alcohol, tobacco, gambling, online shopping, cocaine, food is necessary for life and you can't avoid it. Part of being a human means providing yourself with nutrition essential amino acids from protein, you need them, fatty acids, vitamin, minerals, calories for energy, you need them. And I subscribe to the idea that you cannot be addicted to anything that is essential for living. Think about it. You cannot be a food addict because you need food to live. Just like you cannot be a sleep addict or a water addict or an oxygen addict. You might really like these things. You might sleep more than the average person or really be in tune with your thirst signals, but you are not addicted to food because you guessed it, you need it to survive. But I will say this. I will say this because I understand where the feeling of addiction might be coming from. I do believe many people are dependent on food. This dependence may feel like addiction. You might experience it like addiction, But in actuality, the turning to food of times and maybe emotional turmoil, stress, boredom, whatever, is more of a habit or a dependence. It's just kind of like a little kid who has a stuffed teddy they take everywhere when they feel uncomfortable and they just hug their teddy. That's like you with food. You're just dependent. You're not addicted. You might cry, I guess, if someone took your teddy or your food away, but you're you're not physically dependent on it and you're going to survive. So to cope with unpleasant feelings or experiences or situations, you depend on food. It is not an addiction. If you ever attempted to improve your diet, we don't have to tell you that changing your eating habits is hard. Working with hundreds of clients one-on-one, the root problem is typically one of two things. First, you don't have a clear plan or direction to help you stick to your eating goals. Or two, you have no one holding you accountable to these goals for the long haul. Your solution to both of these issues is DAP, which stands for Daily Accountability Program. 
DAP is a 30-day virtual coaching program where one of our registered dietitians at Nutrition Awareness not only helps you craft a personalized blueprint to reaching your goals, but holds you accountable to that plan every single day. During each 30-day cycle of DAP, we teach you how to plan and stick to your healthy lifestyle and or weight loss goals through personalized nutrition and daily accountability via video, audio, and text message. Nothing is automated. You're talking to a real-life dietitian who understands you, your lifestyle, struggles, and goals. If you're curious about DAP, we invite you to view our application, which provides more information as well as some of the testimonials from previous clients who have found tremendous success on DAP. The application can be found on our website, www.orlandodietitian.com backslash coaching. Just scroll to the bottom and you'll see our application form. Again, that's orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. Let's talk about the argument of foods that have, quote unquote, addictive ingredients. Specific food substances can seem extremely addictive. Think about the examples earlier with the potato chip. I mean, everyone remembers the Lay's potato chip campaign that was so popular where they said, bet you can't have just one. And they had like some beautiful person with flawless skin and a thin body popping chip after chip. And it was like, ooh, okay. These hyper palatable foods trigger a dopamine response in our brain. We get like a little shot of feel good chemicals. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter in your brain that just makes you feel good. So when you have this really hyper palatable concoction of a salty, crispy, crunchy, Lay's potato chip, it causes you to crave more and more each time you eat it to achieve that same level of bliss, to continue to get that same feel-good hit in your brain. I'd argue the desire to keep eating foods like potato chips and sugar can be explained by a few different arguments, but I'm going to share with you three root issues, and you might be experiencing one, two, or three of these if you feel addicted around highly processed or highly palatable foods. First, the consumption of said food is simply habit, and our body tends to crave more of what we continuously provide it with. Caffeine is a wonderful example. I'd argue it's easier for most to break a caffeine addiction or habit of having a morning cup of coffee versus a legitimate cocaine heroin addiction. So you might be habitualized or conditioned to eat specific foods because your body just is used to getting a dose of that thing every single day. And you might experience withdrawals. I will not argue that when people cut back on caffeine and sugar, especially they might experience a bit of headache or a little bit of a blood sugar swing because they have to adjust to a new way of eating but it's pretty temporary, short-lived, and it doesn't disrupt their normal life on a a usual basis. So if you are used to eating a McDonald's sandwich and french fries with a Coke every day at lunch, you might feel addicted, but I would argue that it's more of a dependence simply because this is your body's norm and it's going to crave more of what you give it. Another reason you might experience addictive like eating behaviors is because your diet is simply lacking in nutrition. 
and therefore your body is sending you signals to consume calorically dense foods that provide you instant energy. Think fat and that refined carb sugar combo. This is why when you haven't eaten much all day, maybe for breakfast you just had some oatmeal and some orange juice, and then for lunch you had romaine lettuce with grilled chicken and low-fat dressing, that when 3 or 4 p.m. rolls around, you feel like a crazy person around Pringles, and you start just eating a whole freaking can or a whole sleeve, even if you're telling yourself the whole time, stop eating, stop eating, stop eating, you just keep going and keep going and keep going. Your body is going to be sending you signals to eat things that give it enough calories to survive because you've been depriving it. And you might think that you ate good all day because you had oatmeal and salad, but really you underfueled and your body's response to underfueling is to send you compulsive thoughts about eating and it's going to want things that have a lot of energy. Fats have a lot of energy and it's going to want something that gives you quick energy refined carbs and sugar. They're digested and absorbed very quickly when compared to say uh, salmon filet or carrots and hummus. Therefore your body gets what it needs very quickly in a large amount. And then you feel guilty or shameful afterwards because you classified Pringles as bad or maybe you physically don't feel comfortable, but really it was just your body's response to starvation and it did what it needed to do or what it thought to do to keep you alive. All in all to say, when you do not eat enough complex carbohydrates from fruits, veggies, whole grains, potatoes, starches, when you don't eat enough protein, think dairy, think meat, but you can also think of plant-based sources like soy, tofu, edamame, beans, nuts, and seeds, or healthy fats from olives, avocados, nut butters, your body is going to demand that energy to keep it alive. And like I said before, it's gonna to gravitate towards chocolate and pizza, and it's not gonna to gravitate towards that really healthy Greek yogurt you bought with berries. The other reason that you might feel addicted to food is because you have binge eating disorder. And I've tackled this beast of a topic in other podcasts, but I would not professionally label binge eating disorder or binge eating tendencies as food addiction. I would say that binge eating disorder, depending on where you fall in that spectrum, and I have podcast episodes about are you a binge eater or overeating, uh, probably about 15 episodes ago, I would say that that uh, there's a root issue and it's not addiction. It's using food to cope with trauma, negative emotions, and it's also usually categorized by restrictive dieting. I often see a lot of people restrictive diet, they feel guilty about how they eat, so they eat in shame, and they eat large amounts of highly processed foods. I'm not gonna go in depth about binge eating disorder because uh, in another episode I did go in depth, and I will link that episode in the show notes if you're interested, and also because I'm not gonna diagnose and I don't want you to self-diagnose yourself with binge eating disorder. I am a registered dietitian, so I can't diagnose anyone with binge eating disorder, but I can help you identify binge eating tendencies, and I really did that in depth uh, earlier. So if you are questioning if you have binge eating disorder tendencies or if you wonder if you might classify as having binge eating disorder, I encourage you to reach out to a medical professional and do some more research to help you get the care you need. I do want to briefly address something in the literature or nutrition world uh, called exorphins, um, gluteomorphins, caseinomorphins. 
These are new terms for me that I stumbled across when reviewing food addiction studies for this podcast. Essentially, I'll just sum it up in a couple sentences. There may be some mild opioid-like effects in certain proteins found in food. Proteins like gluten or casein. And casein is a milk protein found in dairy and gluten is found in bread, wheat products, barley, rye. I want to tell you guys this. I scoured the studies. I even reached out to a few of my fellow dietitian friends and nobody had even heard of these things. And then I asked one friend to help me look through research. Shout out to Carly Roach if you're listening to this. Hey girl. Um, We could not find any studies. She's really good at looking up studies. She's a PhD student and even she couldn't find any strong evidence to support the claim that gluten or casein is addictive. So if anybody has evidence or good arguments, please send it my way because I find this fascinating. It's K-A-I-T, Kate at OrlandoDietitian.com. I just love to know if you've heard of this before. All in all, there might be some mild effects, but the research is super shaky and I don't know, who doesn't? Megan said it best. She said, who doesn't experience a euphoric feeling when eating pizza or something with gluten and cheese. And it's like, yeah, it's, I would chalk it up to just, uh, just from my own experience eating pizza and reading the literature is you're getting that dopamine hit because it's a highly palatable food. It's not addictive, but let's say that you perceive you have food addiction or you did perceive yourself as a food addict Maybe you've changed your mind. Maybe you're still married to the idea that you're a food addict and you want to change it. I'm going to share with you some steps and some tips for overcoming this struggle. I'm going to give you four things, four four little nuggets of info to chew on. The first one being you should accept that part of being a live functioning human uh, means that you require adequate calories to sustain life. Calories are energy. Food has calories. Therefore, food gives you energy to go out and fulfill your life's greatest purpose. Whether that is to be a mother or a father, an innovator, an entrepreneur, a humanitarian, a blogger, an influencer, an athlete, a badass individual, you need energy to do whatever it is that you were put on this planet to do. And guess what? You are not put on this planet to be constantly thinking and worrying about food, unless, you know, maybe you're a chef or something. Okay, that's that's the exception, but you're picking up what I'm putting down. You're not put on this earth to be constantly worried about what you're putting in your mouth. You need to embrace food and the human need to eat it. When you embrace it with open arms and accept this fact, you might find it instantly or over time a lot easier to eat and just let it be. It also makes food less scary and intimidating. Another tip, prioritize fueling your body with enough calories from whole balanced meals to stop or slow down that body's natural response to deprivation. Remember when I was talking about the second reason why you might feel addicted to food? Well, if you're not giving yourself enough nutrition, your body's going to demand it from specific sources. And those sources are never veggies and fruit and whole grains. They're always going to be something that is nutritionally lacking. Let's call it that. And oftentimes when you are deprived, you have constant obsessive thoughts around food and irresistible cravings. And this could be why you feel like you're addicted. It's really just your your body's response. And then some people can deal with these thoughts or obsessive behaviors around food for a while, but more often than not, they end in a binge 
or a cheat meal. I think some people call them cheat meals, but I mean, everyone's relationship with food is different. Um, and, and usually this idea that you are addicted to food. I would say many perfectionists and uh, yo-yo dieters find themselves in this cycle. If you listen to the previous episode about the four archetypes of struggling dieters, you will understand why this makes sense. The perfectionists and the yo-yo dieters often find themselves in this restrict binge cycle. If you are thinking this is you and you're not really sure how to eat healthy or what that looks like or how much you should be eating or what you should be eating to prevent these addictive eating like behaviors I'm telling you work with one of our dietitians Megan and I would be happy to meet with you one-on-one and help you fuel your body the right way while also improving your relationship with food and your body we are passionate about this it's obviously our career but it's our life's work and we would love to help you. So make sure you reach out to one of us. You can Instagram us, uh, Instagram us, direct message us on Instagram. We are at nutrition.awareness. I also will put the link to our website, orlandodietitian.com below. If you'd like to explore different options to figuring out how to improve your relationship with food, uh, you can set up an appointment with us. We are taking virtual and in-person. The third step. And this one gets a little bit existential, right? So hang in there with me, but I believe it. You have to let go of these disempowering identities that you have around food, like being a food or sugar addict, or having a sweet tooth, or having the fat gene, or being big boned, whatever it is. Whatever disempowering belief you have about yourself and your relationship with food, let it go. Rewrite it to be more in favor of your ultimate goal, which... Surprisingly, I don't think a lot of people really know exactly what they want. They know like, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to feel better, but they don't really know what they want their relationship or their experience with food. They don't know how they want food to fit into their life because that is synonymous with the health goal or that superficial goal that they're trying to achieve. So your first step is you need to get clear on what you want your relationship or your attitude around food to look and feel like. I don't care what your weight or health goal is. Put that to the side for now. These are very valid and they matter and they're super duper important, but you're not going to get to those goals unless you understand how disempowering beliefs make it that much harder. It's like walking through mud. You're gonna keep sinking and getting stuck and falling down. So here's an example. Instead of saying, I am a food addict, say to yourself, whether you believe it or not at first, Decide that you are in control around food. Say, I am in control around food. I feel relaxed in situations where food is abundant. I feel relaxed around sugar. In fact, I can even enjoy sugar in moderation because I choose to stop eating when I'm full. I fuel my body with nutritious foods throughout the day. I choose to make nutrition a priority. I educate myself on healthy eating and I practice what I preach. I am healthy and I cope with emotions without food. Change your relationship with food, okay? Change your identity. Change your identity. I know a personal story here as a kid, for some reason, I wasn't even an overweight kid, but I was just taller and thicker than a lot of my other girlfriends. I was just like, I don't know, I wasn't fat, I was just bigger. But I had this whole narrative in my head that I was the big friend, I was the fat friend, and I had that all the way through high school. And it triggered a lot of disordered eating, but it never helped me solve 
the actual issue, which was that I didn't have a lot of confidence. I just didn't feel confidence. I didn't feel um, worthy compared to other people. And when I really started to look inward and stop trying to control my body size, well, then I grew to love my body and recognize that I have a banging body, in my opinion, because I decided it to be so. And it helped me a lot because I changed my perception of myself. And it's way easier said than done. I know you might be listening to this right now and you're like, uh, what? Like, no, it's it's so weird, but it's true. When you change your identity, when you decide to have a good relationship with food and you decide not to be a fa- uh, food addict and you decide that the fat gene is a totally bogus uh, thing that, that's that's holding you back, then you can move forward and get to that ultimate goal. And the last tip I'm going to give you, become aware of the food dependence that you might be experiencing and the root cause. If it's not related to nutrition and your overall eating habits, is it a coping mechanism? Is turning to food what you do when you're bored or lonely or sad or stressed or anxious or just don't feel good and want a quick dopamine hit and you don't really know where else to turn? I think self-compassion is really important here because all things considered, coping with food like potato chips and ice cream is relatively a gentle response compared Uh, to using hard drugs or violence to cope with trauma. I mean, when I have clients who admit they have an emotional dependence on food, here's where we start to explore things below the surface. And I often find that we can spend a lot of time wallowing on why they have an emotional dependence on food, which is valuable, but only for so long. I think of it as 2080. We want to identify the problem and figure out maybe where it's coming from, for about 20% of the time because that helps us have compassion for ourselves and maybe understand that we're not defected. But the 80% should be focusing on the solution, the solution because when we can start to take action to find a solution and implement the solution, we feel empowered. It's way more empowering than wallowing in our pain and saying like, oh, like I'm a food addict because I'm lonely, my boyfriend dumped me, or my mom wasn't around, or she had a bad relationship with food. Whatever your problem is, I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying it's it's not going to help you in this context. It's not gonna it's not what I would help you do, right? I'd help you find solutions to help you get over the dependence of food. So if your emotional dependence on food is the thing holding you back, you can decide that it's holding you back or you can choose to reframe it and see your emotional eating habits as a signal that something in your life needs to change. Just like a gentle like, hey, like we're turning to food because something's wrong. What's wrong? Okay, we figured out what's wrong. You're lonely. Okay, what's the solution? And here are some solutions that real life clients of mine have come up with. One, you might need to create some boundaries with people in your life. Maybe you're having somebody who is really invasive and causing you stress or work or a lot of people just don't give you time alone. You need to create some boundaries. You might need to have tough conversations with people. Maybe you're holding on to some emotion or trauma or issues that you've never expressed and turning to food is just a lot easier than thinking about it or having those conversations. I mean, think about it. If you're stressed and you just dive into a bag of Oreos, it feels really good. And it feels a lot better than being sad. But sorry, Charlie, being sad is part of being human. I know, I I don't like it either. And hey, you know what, I'm gonna say this with all due respect, you might need to just get a life, right? Okay, and I mean that lovingly. 
So maybe maybe you need something in your life that fills your cup besides work or Netflix or your kids' extracurriculars. I mean, if you just wake up and you're a servant to everyone around you, and maybe it's coming from a place of love, maybe you just need something to excite you because the only thing that you have going on right now is food. So if you wake up and you're cleaning the house and then you're getting the kids ready for school and then you're driving them everywhere and then you're doing all this work for your job or whatever you're doing and then you pick up the kids from school and you're driving around and you have to cook dinner and all, if you're doing too much and you don't have anything in your in your life that lights you up, I would encourage you to create boundaries in your schedule, think long and hard, be solution oriented instead of problem oriented, right? Don't just come up with more excuses to say the same. Think of how to solve this scheduling problem and find something that replaces food for you. It doesn't have to be crazy. In fact, I usually tell people to think about, okay, what, as a kid, like what lit you up? Was it something artistic? Was it being in nature? That's especially helpful for me as a kid. I was always outside and I feel like my appetite suppresses either physically or mentally when I'm in the sunshine or in nature, even if it's even if it's cold outside. Uh, where as a kid, did you love performing? Did you love playing sports, jumping on a trampoline? Did you love writing in your diary or a journal or writing poetry or playing with your friends or volunteering? Were you part of clubs, organizations, your church? Kids are so involved in things and they have so many interests that just seem to fizz away uh, as we get into adolescence and especially young adulthood. And you know, this seems like lame advice. Like I have a big L on my forehead right now. Like what did you do as a kid? But I'm telling you, the things that we liked as a kid usually brought us pure joy. And most importantly, they put you in a state of flow. We are not obsessing over food or what you're eating. Think about a kid. If they're playing with their toys or they're outside with friends and you're like, hey, honey, dinner's ready. They're annoyed. They're like, I don't want to eat because they're having so much fun. I remember my mom always told me that I would be having so much fun playing outside. I would pee my pants all the time because I didn't want to stop to use the bathroom. Like, that's flow. So what puts you into flow? And I'm not telling you to pee your pants and I'm not telling you to ignore hunger cues. I mean, that's that's not healthy either, going eight hours without eating because you're working so hard. But what excites you? What makes you feel a peace or joy? And you need to make that a priority. Like treat it as a prescription to a dependence on food. Or if you want to call it an addiction to food, this is this is a big step. In short, you guys, I'll wrap this up here. It's up to you to decide your relationship with food. Food is not another person. It's a one-sided relationship and you're in the driver's seat, okay? Food cannot control you. It's not gonna dump you, it's not gonna break your heart or hurt you or lie to you unless you let it, right, metaphorically. You do not have to be an addict to food if you choose not to be. Decide today to change how you see your diet and make it positive. And then take action that's in alignment with that. If you don't know where or how to begin, or if you just want to talk to someone about these things, someone that is an expert, that wants to listen, that understands, that can empathize, I encourage you to work with Megan or I. We want to help you. We are registered dietitians. This is what we do. We sit with people and we have real conversations about food and we talk about solutions. I'm always taking new clients. So at this time I'm taking new clients and Megan is taking clients at the end of April of this month, 2021, when she's finishing up maternity leave. So we are here for you guys. If you want to get on orlandodietitian.com, book a consultation virtually or in person with one of us, and we will help you overcome any kind of food addiction or food dependence. 
If you found this episode helpful, I ask that you guys share it with a friend who you feel like might really benefit from it. Even better, post it on your Instagram stories and tag us. We love to see that you guys are listening and we love to talk with you. That means a lot to us and it also helps us grow the podcast. I tell you guys this all the time. It means so much to me that you guys tuned in and listened to the podcast. You guys are the best. Uh, I'll see you guys on the next episode.